one. Hey guys, the internet is about to break down because a very, very gorgeous, sensual, sexy guy, along with Candace Owens, <laughs> will be chatting right here. Hey Candace, how you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you? Good, good. Uh, I wanted to first confirm because I'm a bit confused. You're not a white male, correct? I am not a white male. It does get <laughs> confusing, though. <laughs> do you do you want me to explain uh, the the inside joke, or do you want to take it away? Well, I think what it comes down to is, and I've learned this: you cannot have a sense of humor on the internet. It does not transfer. So, <laughs> you whatever you say will be taken at face value. Satire is lost. Humor is lost. <laughs> Nobody can take a joke on the internet. It, you know, it's unbelievable because just to, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about. Uh, as I was announcing that Candace and I were going to chat on the show, I wrote something to the effect, I'll be chatting with the racist, white, male, Trump-supporting Candace Owens. And then I received just a tsunami of hate mail saying, you're a professor, you're a doctor, what kind of moron must you be to think... What kind of moron must you be? <laughs> right. Now think of it, let, let's, let's look at it from their perspective, right? Obviously, if you and I are chatting... I must know something about you to have decided, hey, I'd like to, you know, invite this person to chat with me. So in which world would I not be able to know that you're actually not a white male? Well, I think that's that's also partly due to the real hyperbole that we see on the left where people do call people like me white supremacists and Nazis. So it's actually par for the course if you were a leftist. So when they see these tweets and they don't know anything about you, they assume that you're some crazy journalist. I've been called a Nazi defender. I've been called a white supremacist. <laughs> so in their defense, it's totally plausible that you would actually call me a white male racist. Well, just to, to add to the lunacy, uh, there was a uh, event that I was supposed to speak at last year with Jordan Peterson and a few other folks. Uh, the title of the event was The Stifling of Free Speech on University Campuses. And it was at a university campus and it was shut down. So the irony was lost on them. <laughs> and the, the people who shut it down referred to me, in case you don't know, I'm a Lebanese Jew. Uh, they uh, accused me of being a white supremacist, anti-Semitic Jew hater. Yeah, anything goes. So you can see why people naturally thought that you were yeah. actually being honest because we've actually reached a point in society where it's there's that much lunacy that you can call anybody despite what they are, what their background is, what they look like. You can call them anything. It's it's a free for all. D does it does it frustrate you at all, or do you take do you sort of smile, shake it off your shoulder, and move on, or do you ever get irritated by the the stupidity that you see? Um, so I, I laugh at the tweets that you know, come by. I don't really matter. It doesn't matter to me. I think I'm, I'm laughing most of the time. But in terms of the in-print stuff, the stuff that sticks, I'm starting to realize that we have to start defending ourselves. I think it's really important that we don't allow these groups like Southern Poverty Law Center to, to just say what they want. It's, it's not all right. And I think for too long, we've been saying, oh, we'll just we'll just let it go. Conservatives will just let this go. And I'm I'm now in a different position where we're planning on punching back to a lot of these publications. So you must have seen the recent announcement that came out with where Majid Nawaz won uh, a settlement. Have you? Did you follow that? Very excited about that. Yeah, mm -hmm. our buddy Dave Rubin tweeted about it, and I saw it. Um, and I think that's great. I've been saying I'm going to punch back, and I've gotten some, you know, con some conservatives. Oh, it's wrong. You know, it's it's free speech. It's not free speech when you when you're libeling and smearing people. That's where free speech ends. And calling me a Nazi defender, saying that I. Um, I shot into fame because I'm, I defend Nazis. It's it's inaccurate. It's wrong, um, and it's meant to do harm to my name. So I I plan on defending that, and despite what anybody thinks. I hear you. Maybe you could tell us. I mean, without I I know that you've discussed sort of your your detailed trajectory uh, on other shows. So maybe we don't need to repeat it here. But I think what I'd like for you to weigh in on is something that I often try to compel my viewers to do, which is getting engaged. I always explain to them that, look, different people have different skill sets, different platforms. Some are you know, well-known professors, others are diplomats, and others are just people who start with a YouTube channel out of nowhere without a prior name, and then they turn into Candace Owens with five <laughs> times more followers than yours truly. Uh, uh, so maybe you could just kind of, because I think hearing that part of your story just might uh, motivate people that, hey, they do have a voice. They could get engaged. 
Right. And I don't think there's a better time to insert your voice than now. I think um, there are so many people that are looking for just realism, something that feels more authentic. Everything that is on TV feels inauthentic. It feels hyperbolic. It feels dishonest. Um, and people are starting to turn to different ideas. It's the reason why you and Dr. Jordan Peterson um, are able to grow such a big platform because you're adding a level of sanity and realism. And that is the same for me. I just felt really passionate um, about the political climate. I felt that the Democrats had gotten extremely dishonest um, and aggressive with the fear politicking. And I decided, look, I know how this game works. I understand how they how they were able to brainwash black people into into believing that everybody was a racist. I'll, I'll beat them at their own game. I can be funny. I can, you know, YouTube allows anybody I, initially, <laughs> before you get too big, YouTube will allow anybody to make a make a video and get out there. And I just took a chance. And that's the number one message that I have to students when they ask me, oh, what should I do? I'm like, what are you good at? Are you a writer? Are you a singer? Do you do plays? Go do that. If, if I, I happen to think I'm hilarious. So I did videos. <laughs> I think me and my family, um, you know, we're constantly making fun of each other and we're always doing voices and calling each other names. And that to me is, is really how the black community communicates through humor and laughter and love. And you could say that that's true about any, any blue collar community. That's sort of how you get through struggle. And I just said, conservatives are taken so seriously. Like we don't know, we don't have a sense of humor. We don't know how to be funny. What if I make these little five minute videos and, and make fun of the left and it worked. And I've, I've been very blessed on this journey. And I hope that anybody watching this knows that I'm not, a, I'm not some special person. I'm just a person that had an idea and decided to give it a shot. And it also helps when someone with 28 million followers says, I like the way you think. That didn't hurt. That certainly didn't hurt. But I had a lot of followers before then, but I was not culturally relevant. Right, right. Um, and that opened this up in a way that I couldn't have possibly imagined it. And it was I'm, I'm very grateful to him for having done that. You know, I, the, the idea of using all of these tools that are available to us to spread messages, to me, it seems like such a no brainer to get engaged. And I, I speak about this now as an academic, right? So many of my academic colleagues sort of live in this uh, you know, ivory tower where, you know, you don't go down to speak to the peasants, right? And, and I think that's such a tragic miscalculation because I can still do my very serious, rigorous scientific work that's published and peer-reviewed, but ultimately I'm someone who creates and disseminates ideas. And if you give me now a tool whereby I could speak to Candace Owens and maybe later today there'll be 50,000 people who view it and it might change quite a few minds, why would I not take advantage of these opportunities? Right. That's exactly right. And I feel the exact same way. And by the way, there's more spirit on the ground. It feels better. Um, you feel like more like you're closer to your authentic self when you're speaking to regular people. And it, there, there's too much of this idea. And I see traces of this in the conservative community as well, that, you know, there's something about being an academic that's highbrow. That you know you shouldn't want to be on YouTube. You shouldn't want to um, use YouTube as a venue to communicate with people. And I think that those people are going to be worse off in time. This is the direction that the world is going to. I faced a lot of criticisms, you know, when I when I first started making videos because I intended them to be a flash in a pan. I intended them to be colloquial and conversational. I didn't want to be speaking above people's heads and and sounding like someone. I wanted to talk to them like I speak to my brothers and my sisters and my cousins. And I was called stupid. I was told that my platform was only big because I was an attractive girl. And, and I didn't care. You know, I, I understood what I was doing and it was it was plausible that it was something that hadn't been done before. Um, and so I, I agree with you wholeheartedly in that assessment that um, you shouldn't listen to the naysayers. And this is it's, it's a unique opportunity that we have and we shouldn't look down upon it within your family or extended community within the black community. Are many people coming around and saying, "Hey, you know what? You're you're flipping me to the side to, to your side," or are most people looking at you still with some derision and suspicion? Uh, the Democrats should be terrified. I mean, I mean, really, every single day, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages pour in through Turning Point, through my Facebook page, in my Instagram comments. You can see it. You can see black people debating. In, on my Twitter feed. And that's what's so special to me is that when I met Charlie Kirk, who you should definitely have on your show, um, what I said to him was that I wanted I wanted to launch an ideological war in the black community. I didn't want everybody to go, oh, Candace is right and agree. I wanted to see them debate. We weren't even debating. We had become so monolithic in thought that it wasn't even worth having a conversation. So when I see them going for the jugular 
you know, figuratively in the comment section, I'm like, yes, that is how you start to understand what you think and process debate, go back and forth. We were just like brainwashed bots, you know, just, well, I am a Democrat. Everybody else is racist. So seeing that unique change and, and we're going to harness it in a really big way. I've been working on a project, uh, for about, uh, the last four months and we're about two months out from launching it. And I think it's, it's going to make everybody's heads explodes. Uh, explode and that's why we always say if you hate us now you better have a lot of stamina because we're just getting started <laughs> now i had heard and i you, you you'll, you'll probably know these numbers better than i do uh, that for the democrats to you know stand the chance of winning in national elections they need roughly 90 percent of the black vote does is that does that number sound right that is accurate if they win 85 percent of the black vote they still lose wow and so and, and so you're thinking that there is a cataclysmic shift that's going to bring it well well below 90. Absolutely. I see it. I, I felt it. In, uh, I see it on the ground. I see it in my comments. I felt it. I've reached out. Um, I'm, uh, I've spoken and met with so many black leaders. And it's just the same sentiment. It's just something's not working. There's only so many times you can uh, sell somebody uh, lies before they start to go, okay, well, you said the exact same thing. Everybody's racist. Everybody's racist. Everybody's racist. Our communities are failing. Um, our, our children aren't doing well. It's, and it's about just talking to them about their issues and getting them to the new ideas and, and encouraging them, hey, what Donald Trump said, what do we have to lose? And the answer is we had absolutely nothing to lose and we're standing to gain a lot by his presidency. What do you think? I mean, uh, here, I'm, I'm going to ask you to speculate. I, I don't think there's a clear answer. But so the people who are able to stand out from the herd mentality. So in the case of the black community, OK, everybody's a Democrat and blah, blah, blah. So yourself, uh, Larry Elder, uh, Thomas Sowell. Uh, what? Legend. Yeah, legend. Yes. Uh, I'd like to bring him on my show, but the, the bastard Dave Rubin beat me to it. Uh, <laughs> but he had to go to Stanford. I'm not sure if I'm desperate enough to chat with Tom Sowell to actually uh, fly to California, but he is a legend. Uh, he's he's the <laughs> yeah. first anti-social justice warrior, right? He, he, yeah. he was fighting these people when most of us were not born or in diapers. I'll uh, get on a boat to go see him. I don't care. I'll go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I probably would do the same. Uh, I was just I was just letting my ego speak. Uh, but but let me ask you this: uh, what what do you think is unique in your personhoods? Is it just that you are free thinkers? Is it that you are nonconformist? In other words, what is it that we could bottle uh, in your unique personhoods that gave you the courage, each of you, when there is such a force to keep you conforming, right, within your particular communities to stand up? Is it just the fact that you are nonconforming? Um, I think it's different for everyone. I would definitely say, in term, we're talking about Dr. Thomas Sowell, he is is the height of education, right? I mean, he is so educated, you, can, there's, you can't sell him a lie. And that's a major problem that we have in our community, and, and this is what I was existing under. We go through 18 years of the public school system and we're taught lies, right? right? right. So if you're not pursuing knowledge on your own, if you're not him, right, and you're going out and you're reading every book um, and actually studying economics and understanding how things work, it's perfect for you to, to fall for the facade that's created by the left. And that's where I was. And I think, um, so it's not, it's not necessarily a personality thing. It's, it's the adventure of everything for me. Yes. Um, I would say that my entire life I've been a nonconformist. I've, I've had a real issue. I've, I'm very strange. My mom and dad tell me stories and it's bizarre. Like what a weird child I was. But I hated the idea that someone was brainwashing me. Like, you know, parents do the, the crap where they'll say, uh, if you don't clean your room, Santa's not going to come, right? I was like the four-year-old who was able to tell Santa not to come. You know what I mean? Like, you, because I wanted them to give me a reason. I want tell me why I should clean my room. I like I liked the dialogue. I like the I'm I'm happy to do something, but I don't like someone just trying to persuade you with BS. And so I've always been that character all throughout school. My teachers tell me, you know, you were just always that person that you just couldn't just do do it the easy way. So I I think that 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 is a, a personality trait that I have is that I, I like to get down to what my ideas are absent what somebody else thinks my ideas should be, which made me write for this sort of a transition. And then once I then was aided with the books and I started reading up on everything, it was, I was like, Oh, it's, I mean, it's spelled out. I'm, this is just the way I think and it's correct. Uh, but like Condoleezza Rice, extremely educated. Uh, she's the, one of the smartest people ever, the first black woman to get into Augusta. And these people are treated like they're traitors to our community. Incredible. Well, here here are a few educated black people who apparently have not benefited from their vast educations. Let me write them down. I, I despise all three of them for different reasons. <laughs> Cornell West, 
Oh, Michael Eric Dyson, my man, and Mark Lamont Hill. Would you like to comment about any of these three clowns? Yeah, so these are the real traitors to the black community because they are educated and they know how it works, but their pockets are being lined uh, to keep the rest of the black community down. Um, they are the ultimate betrayers to our community. Um, and I, I like to believe that there is a special place in hell for those sorts of individuals who understand what they're doing and do it despite um, because it lines their pockets. These are the Maxine Waters, right? I mean, yeah. she might just be a low IQ individual, but she also lives in a $6 million home. Right. And, and, right. and she knows her job is to get up there and to keep screaming racism, racism, racism and impeach him. These are puppets. They don't, they are um, exactly what black people shouldn't be. The, the, and they will, um, if I have anything to do with it, they will be remembered as that while they're still living. They won't be able to, to die and then go, oh, it was okay. Everyone thought I was a hero. I, I hope that uh, these Al Sharptons and the Jesse Jacksons and the Cornell Wests, that they are alive to see this amazing transition happen in the black community and that people like me, um, you know, uh, that they, they are, are alive to see what the black community views them as, which is what they should view them as, as traitors. Have any of these types of folks... Uh, the ones that we've mentioned or others of a similar ilk reached out to you for a conversation? I'm like their worst enemy. Absolutely not. They've not reached out to me for a conversation and they wouldn't want to. I, I would put them in their in their place swiftly. Um, and I think that that is one thing that separates me from, uh, I guess you could say, more traditional black conservatives. I, I punch back. I'm much more like go for the jugular. I wish I had the tact and the sophistication of Condoleezza and Dr. Thomas Sowell, but I do think that it's time for an earthquake um, and it's time to stop doing it with the gloves on. It's time to take the gloves off and say to the black community, you need to wake up. I don't care if this hurts your feelings, you know, and, um, I, people always say I'm, I'm like waking someone's deep asleep and I'm like shaking them up and you should be calmer. People like to wake up more peacefully. It's like, no, it's time to wake up. It's time to go to school. Here's where we're at. It's time to make a difference. The Candace alarm clock is ringing loudly. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> uh, it is. now I, I think in one of your, uh, I guess, viral moments, uh, you sort of had this little clip where you're talking uh, with, with some derision about the you know victim mentality. And it's something that I've weighed in on and I actually use it. Uh, I call it victimology poker. And I usually use my own victimology score, which usually outranks any black person's by a mile because, <laughs> they, because they usually have to go back to 300 years ago when their great ancestors you know, were being uh, abused and enslaved. I just have to talk about within my own lifetime when I when my family escaped execution in Lebanon. And so that usually is a, a game that they can't win. And I use it to my advantage using their own calculus. But tell us a bit about uh, your disdain for this victimhood mentality. Well, so the best way to become victimized by society is to accept that you are a victim. Right. And and this is what they this is the bill of goods or the bill of bads that have been sold to the black community, that there's some power in recognizing yourself as a victim. It's why I adamantly am opposed to any group, any hashtag that is rooted in victimhood. Black lives matter. Right. It's a perfect way to say, because what are victims but emotional? Right. It's, it's and, and, and when you are emotional, you are out of control. It's the worst thing that you can be um, the, is emotional and making a decision. Um, and they know that the left understands this expertly. So this is why they are obsessed with identity politics and breaking people out and this hierarchy of victimhood, because they say, oh, you're a woman. So you're a victim. And that's how they can control you, because they've just told you you're a victim. And you think that there's something powerful in that when, in fact, it's the exact opposite. Right. They're going to to use your victimhood to enslave you to some ideology. Right. So I am adamantly opposed and I've been a victim, you know, in my life before, you know, survived a hate crime as it was classified. But why do you put it in quotes? Because I just I think we, we were constantly racing to label everything. And what happened to me, some guys called and left me racist voicemails. OK, the youngest person in the car was 14. Are we really going to say this kid was a racist or was he just a, an asshole 14 year old? But by the way, that, that's called Tuesday morning for me in my childhood in Lebanon. Right, exactly. And, and, and people are obsessed with being a victim. And it's like, you know, you can teach people before you try to label them. Why don't you try to teach them and have a conversation? Why don't we try saying sorry? All of this old school stuff that I raised. I've said some pretty terrible things to my sisters and, you know, growing up and people are trying out mean. They're trying to see how it feels to be mean. So I like to just normalize the discussion. Like, are the words that were used against me racist? Yes, they were racist. Are the individuals at 14 year old racists? No, they probably made a really stupid mistake and, and people should be allowed to do stupid things without having it be a scene on the rest of their lives. There has to be a more a more normalized phase of like, 
apology and forgiveness, which the society does not know how to process and do. They need me to accept my status as a victim. And I don't feel that way. And it feels better, by the way. Forgiving people feels better if, if you haven't tried it, right? When someone does something awful and they say sorry, forgive them. And and they learn and they grow from it. You know, if somebody goes on and for the rest of their life, they're like that, okay, then you have a racist. But I, I, I take great exception to the idea that a 14 year old who, who calls somebody a nigger um, is, is a, a racist for the rest of their lives. I, I just, I don't believe that. Um, so, uh, and this society, this outrage culture that we have needs to constantly put people into boxes before people even know who they are. I mean, God forbid my, everything that I thought when I was 14 or everything that I've ever said, every mean thing that I ever said to a girl was now an assessment of who Candace Owens is as a person. I went through some terrible phases. I was uh, anorexic and miserable from 18 to, to 21 years old. And I was a mean girl. You know, I was like, because I was suffering internally, I showcased that externally. As Charlie always says to me, hurt people hurt people, right? But I was going through a lot of stuff at home. You know, I didn't come from a great family. I, I, I came from a broken family and um, had a very a bad childhood. So nobody talked to you about that. They just want to put you in a case where you must be a mean girl. What am I going through at home? There's, there's usually more to the story than what meets the eye. And I'm interested in the more to the story when it comes to individuals. Well, the process of forgiveness, and we, we, one doesn't need to put a theological spin on it, is, is, is truly, you're right, it's a healing process. For example, there are programs uh, in, 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 in the justice system where let's say the mother of a slain uh, young man will go to prison to meet the killer where he will look at her to explain his actions and to apologize to her. And then she, she doesn't mean she forgets what happened, but she then sort of grants him forgiveness. And many of them will then say that they truly feel a lot more psychologically whole after having gone through that process. And this is someone who killed their child. So Kanye I think- his mother, he, he met with, you know, spoke oh, to oh, right, right. And it was beautiful and it brought me to tears when I met with him and he was telling me the story and the power of forgiveness is something that's just not taught enough. And I am someone that if someone apologizes to me, even when they don't apologize to me, I've had people that have wronged me and I've forgiven it and it felt so much better than the anger that I was holding on to. Like you feel lighter. Like I, I really think you lose like three pounds every time. <laughs> right before the summer, I forgive a bunch of people so I can get into my bikini. I need to lose <laughs> about 25 pounds. So if I can get about 10 people to apologize to me, yeah, Boom. exactly. Yeah, just go around forgiving people, and, and um, you know, and and I work. I still have to work on it. It's hard, especially in the environment that I'm in now. Uh, Charlie Kirk is amazing at this, and it's because he's like he's an evangelical Christian. So he he is this amazing way when people do awful things to us, like you know, like the Yaf memo that came out this week. I'm like ready to go for the jugular, and Charlie's just like I'm gonna pray for them, and I'm like that's beautiful, and I feel better because he said that, and. We're over it. And I'm like, that is the energy that needs to go into the world. That is the example that I, I practice every day that I, I want girls to look up to me and say, hey, before you call this person a name, why don't you try to understand them, why they would do something awful, what they might be going through. And and if you can get to a place of conversation and forgiveness, then everybody wins. Let me ask you, this. I, I hope you don't forgive me if I if this puts you in a delicate position, but uh, is there anything that you've said? I'm thinking of one particular interaction that I've seen Bring with it. you <laughs> where you might regret having been unduly mean to someone else. And tell me if you think who I might be speaking about. No, you can you can say it. I'm not, uh, you don't have to okay. word. Uh So it was, I think, at the start of your chat with Blair White, yeah. Dave Rubin. Uh, this is where the guys, 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 I guess, meme came yeah. from. Uh, yeah. You know, when you kind of came after uh, that individual... Do you regret that or do you stand let's, by it? Let's, let's get this right. I did not come after this individual. This individual came after me and, and was making videos about me and, and a, a, a group chat of like 10 people calling me a fraud, calling me a bitch, calling me all of these names. And before we were supposed to go out and have this civil discussion was doing a live uh, Twitter thing, calling me, me more names, you know, and it's just like, all right, well, Oh, I see. Oh, I see. This didn't start because I, I, I attacked this person. This person and a group of 10 YouTubers, once I got to 100,000 followers, decided to create this whole uh, theory that I was coming out with a, a project that was going to you know, expose uh, conservatives. And it was, listen, it was, it was nastiness. The stuff that they said about me in that group chat was nastiness. Now, do I regret the way that I handled myself that day? 100%. I mean, the second it was over, I regret, as it was happening, I regretted it, you know, because it's not, it's, it's a, uh, a person that I've I've needed to move away from, like that that person that always feels like they have to attack and be on the defense, and it doesn't come across sophisticated. It's not smart. It's not how you 
um, how I want to ever represent myself, you know, um, in, in the real world. But I take great exception to people pretending like, you know, this person got picked on by me and I did nothing to this individual whatsoever. And, and YouTubers just decided like on, on a week that, you know, we're all going to attack her um, because we don't like how big her platform has gotten. And I always say I felt like I was living through, um, you know, YouTube high. That said, I have no ill will towards uh, Blair whatsoever. Um, you know, I hope Blair's journey has I haven't, you know, even heard anything about Blair whatsoever. And I hope that Blair's journey is, is good and positive um, and successful. And that, look, Blair's in a unique position to open up a conversation. And it, it shouldn't be, Caddy. You're in a unique position as a trans individual to talk about politics in a sophisticated way. Don't go after other YouTubers. You know, talk about make make a positive impact, not a negative one. I hear you. Uh, going back quickly to uh, the victimology stuff, uh, I recently uh, did a sad truth clip uh, recounting a oh, case. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate oh, it. Great <laughs> uh, uh, there was a case in Portland, Oregon, where a gentleman decided that one of the ways by which all whites collectively, independently of who they are and what their personal histories are, should be collectively uh, you know, repaying blacks through reparations. And the, the the bright way that he came up with is that there would be a, a happy hour where uh, only black or people of color would show up and then the whites would pick up the tab. Have you heard of this uh, such a story? Sounds lovely. Where do I meet you guys? <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, actually, I don't know if, if you saw the tweet. I said, if, if, I, if I go to have uh, drinks, with slave owners Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, and Dave Rubin, then they have to pay me because, you know, I'm a person of color from the Middle East. Yeah. On the other hand, if I go out with Candace Owens or Kanye West, then we'll go Dutch. Right. Yes. It's, it, listen, this is crazy. And, and we love this. The idea of reparations, the, the slope is so slippery that I want it to happen. You know, I just can't wait till people are just like Alexander the Great, what he did to my, I mean, do they, people understand that every single person in the history of, of the world has at some time has been oppressed? I don't think people understand that. It, like, have you learned about a history, American history, European history, um, Anglo-Saxon history? We've, we've all been enslaved. We've all lived through terrible things. The only way to uh, to repair the past to focus on the future. Well, I mean, it's it. I I live in the epicenter of lunacy. It's called the university, <laughs> right? That's where all the bullshit ideas originate from, right? And so, for example, there is there is a a, a movement. I think the term. I first heard of it in Steven Pinker's book, uh, The Blank Slate, 2002 book, fantastic book, by the way, for anybody who's watching, uh, Anthropologists of Peace. So these are anthropologists, these are real academics who argue, who promulgate the idea that, it's, that, the, the, that violence, right, warfare, is really a white construct, right? I mean, prior to whites, you know, creating this war thing everybody walked around you know with fig leaves on their genitals singing yeah. uh, you know imagine by john lennon and i mean yeah. it is so astonishingly false that you know you would think that the average three-year-old would know that this is insane and yet this is what we promulgate in our universities well because the you know, look you i'm extremely passionate about what's happening at universities obviously i work for turning point usa so you can only imagine what we see and we cannot stress to people enough what's happening on universities it's terrifying um they're teaching anti-americanism they're teaching uh, they there's uh, an actual hate for white people I and mean, this is it is insane to me because i grew up in a household learning about a time in society when there was actual hate for black people but if I understood the lessons that my grandfather gave me, then I would never want to see that replicated in any other community. And yet it is actively pursued and there is permission for it towards the white community. Uh, we've been on college campuses and somebody has said USA. I'm wearing a shirt now that says USA. And that was called a, a, a racist white chant. <laughs> USA. And, and I said, oh, well, what are we going to start saying at uh, the Olympics? Right. You can't, can't, any sense of pride in being an American is if they make it seem like this is white supremacy. That in, in loving your country, understanding that living in America is a blessing, living in an environment where there is free markets and capitalism is a is a blessing. Having a fundamental understanding of economics is white supremacy. Science is white supremacy. Freedom of speech is white supremacy. White supremacy. The U.S. Constitution. I actually did a sad truth where I listed. I went to Campus Reform, the website, and I just entered white supremacy, and I came up with a list of all of the different concepts that have been linked to white supremacy. 
Everything is white supremacy. Everything's white supremacy. I mean, like everything. I wake up in the morning. Everything's. I got a latte this morning. I was like, this is white supremacy. I know that somewhere there's some article that is going to link my latte to white supremacy. And every uh, tier of life is white supremacy now, and it's problematic. And in order to change that discussion, there has to be people like me that speak out against it, right? Because white people can't speak up, speak out against it. They can't defend themselves. That's white supremacy, <laughs> right? <laughs> God forbid you defend yourself. That's white supremacy. And normalizing that conversation is something that I'm really passionate about because I don't remember feeling this way when I grew up. That's what I tell people all the time. I, I grew up in, in um, you know, in Stamford, Connecticut, and I had... Uh, black people, white people in my class, trans people, and I never felt that I was less than than the, the white girl that was sitting next to me. I, we, we weren't handed out white privilege packets, right? Um, I, maybe I understood, obviously. I was living in a tiny little apartment with my sisters, and when I went to my friend Susan's house, she'd have a big house, and I understood there was an economic difference, but I didn't feel that she was better than me. I was friends with her. Now there, there's this distrust, and there's this sentiment that's growing, but it's not growing because it's coming out of individuals. It's being taught to them. They're, they're learning that there's difference. They're learning that they, there should be resentment. Their children in, in first grade are being taught that they're less than. That's what a white privilege package is. You're telling a black person that no matter what they do, just so you understand the person next to you is better. It's That's a fundamentally racist concept. Right. Um, well, and I, I hate it. I really, I despise it. What, what upsets me, I mean, look, uh, racism or, you know, uh, suspicion of the other is regrettably an indelible part of the possible you know strategies that humans succumb to right so whites can be racist to blacks blacks can be racist to whites what upsets me the most is the more recent trend of expressing your uh you know your 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 street cred as a progressive when you as a white person self-flagellate in your self-loathing right so the way that i show people that i am a virtuous person if i am white is to repeatedly look at myself in the in the mirror and say how disgusting I am in my whiteness, and it's those people that upset me the most. Because if I, right, because if you did it at the individual level, if if you were to be someone who is very self-loathing, then then it would be perfectly reasonable to say, hey, you should go see a therapist and maybe talk through these issues. It's not a mentally healthy position to have. But if you talk about it as a collective, I hate my whiteness, then that's progressive. So in one case, you should go see a therapist. In the other case, it's progressive. It's grotesque. Well, and I'll tell you why it's really grotesque. It's because they're not doing it because it's of an act of virtue. They're doing it because it's the most narcissistic thing you can do. They're doing it for attention. They're not doing it because they care about black people. It's To me, it feels like putting a, a black person on a leash like a puppy and saying, look at my puppy. I hate white guilt right. the most, okay? Because you've already accepted that I have to be your victim. The people that are the most disgusting to me are the people that have are expecting me as a black woman to be a victim. And when I say no, thank you, they don't know how to process it. They, 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 they are trying to tell me that I'm misunderstanding my own blackness. And that lets you know that at the core, right, they're doing it because it makes them feel good. Right. Not because it makes, because they're helping me. Not because it, they think it's helping black people. They're doing it because it makes them feel good, okay? There's actually self-gratification that comes from that self-flagellation uh, that you're speaking of. And it's sickening. So the white guilt people piss me off the most. I mean, I'm literally like, I, I have a shirt that says I'm not your victim. OK, if you have an issue with Trump, don't use me. I'm not your puppy. Don't take me on a leash and say, oh, it, it's, it's this symptom. Oh, this is my puppy. I rescued him. Why are you telling me you rescued your puppy? Right. Like it, I, uh, we, we, we rescued him. He wasn't going to make it. They're doing it because they want you to say, oh, my God, what an amazing person you are for rescuing this puppy. I'm not your puppy. I'm not your victim. No, thank you. Have you have you had a chance, as you mentioned Trump, have you had a chance, I think you've met Trump or his son or both? Well, I was actually with them both last night too. Okay. I'm, I'm here, I'm at the Trump right now. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yes, I just had breakfast with Don uh, Jr. And uh, I was with, I had dinner with Don Jr. last night and Trump spoke last night. Uh, I, I mean, I love this man. You just have, I, don't, I just wish people knew how funny he was right. and right. how likable. It's, it's bizarre to me. Like after he spoke last night, we all look at each other and just like, how does the media not like him? We're never going to get this person who is this warm, charismatic, hilarious. He's like bringing Evander Holyfield on stage. It's like, Evander, Evander, do you know Candace? Do you know Candace? You know, and um, it was just hilarious. He was recounting the Justin Trudeau story, you know, after they went and met. And it was the most hilarious story I've ever heard. He's like, so I meet with Justin and, and, and we're hugging and we're kissing and he loves me. The guy loves me. And he says, and then we leave the summit. He goes, and I get on the plane. I've got 
27 TVs on the plane. Like the second he gets on the Air Force One, he's like, I open a closet, there's a TV. And here's this guy who's just hugging and kissing me. Right? <laughs> and he says, we're not going to be pushed around by America. And it was the most hilarious story. And he's so likable and and warm. And I'm such a fan of him. I, and his family is amazing. Don Jr. is almost exactly like him. It's it's interesting that he carries on the Don Trump, you know, Donald Trump's name because he's exactly like him and he spoke yesterday and they're they're really funny and they're aware of what's going on. Um and they just they're they're past the part where they they're even bothered by all of these headlines. They're just good people that are going to keep fighting for this country. You know, I uh I think it was maybe on the Ruben report my last appearance where we were talking about Trump and Dave was asking me you know, my thoughts on, you know, why is there such a, you know, the Trump derangement syndrome. And one of the answers that I provided was that I believe that many highbrow people and certainly academics, the, the world that I inhabit, really view Donald Trump as an attack on their most basic sense of aesthetics, right? Uh, uh, Barack Obama is tall, he's lean, he's majestic, he speaks with a beautiful voice, he speaks like a Southern Baptist minister. He's one of us, he's part of the ivory tower. The other guy sounds vulgar, brash, uh, overweight, he, right? He, so in a very superficial manner, he attacks sort of the aspirational sense of what it is to be in the ivory tower. And that's why I think they have this literal visceral disgust towards him, right? By the way, you're, you're also hitting at the nucleus of what the Never Trump movement was about. Hmm. So you have these academic conservatives that think that this is what conservatism is and we're somehow better and it's the ivory tower effect. And they, they're tremendously, so it's, it's not just the left. You see it, I, I've seen it on the right too. They, they have these academic types. For, for similar they reasons? They, 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 similar they, reasons. Okay. This is the okay. most conservative president that we've had during my lifetime, uh, you know, probably in, in your lifetime as well. I don't know if he's, he's arguably more conservative than, than Ronald Reagan was. And you still have never Trumpers that are harping about the fact that he's tweeting. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares if he's tweeting? You know, who cares? Is he getting the job done? Is, has anything bad happened? No, actually, you could argue only good things have happened. He said he had a big button on his desk and now North Korea is denuclearizing, right? And you have people that still need to obsess over the aesthetics like you just hit on. And these people drive me insane. And they and, and that's why I drive them insane, because there's a thousand things that people think that I should be now. Like, and I, I watch it happen. It's like I left the left because I didn't conform to what they wanted. But there's also this Puritan breed of conservatism where people think, oh, well, now that you're on um, Fox News, you can't do this or say this. You can't go from hanging out with Donald Trump to Fox News to hang out with Kanye West. Yes, right. I can. Right. Oh, Candace, now that you're on Fox News, you have to say that you totally uh, disregard Paul Joseph Watson because he's the editor-at-large at, large at um, InfoWars. I love Paul Joseph Watson. He's been tremendously kind to me. I right? love your irreverence. Never change. Yeah, right. So and, and these people want to put me in a box. Now, would you like to say something against, you know, Infowars? Now, would you like to say something against Trump? Now, would you like to say something against Kanye? No, I, I'm a person that I, I like individuality. If you treat me well, I'll treat you well. I've always been like that. There's no person that can say I was really nice to Candace and she was awful to me. I, I, I respond but with kindness by with more kindness to that person. So I I refuse to be put into a box. And that makes people very uncomfortable. The amount of text messages that Charlie gets like control your girl. And he's like, the idea they think that I can control you and your ideas. Oh, Candace, now that you're a conservative, you have to be very careful when you talk about the Me Too movement. That exploded last week. Right. I don't support I don't support the movement. Of course, I support uh, sexual assault victims and people that are raped. But as we spoke about earlier, movements that are rooted in victimhood will always be hijacked and weaponized by the left. So true. Uh, tell us very briefly about the Turning Point Project, for those who might not know what it's all about. We're trying to save people like you and, and Dr. Jordan Peterson. That's what it's about. Okay. So there, look at you. There's no way to describe this, but uh, uh, college campuses have become islands of totalitarianism. And that's just what it is. You cannot walk around with a MAGA hat. You cannot walk around with the USA shirt. You cannot walk around with a capitalism shirt. Forget the, forget anything that's even considered inflammatory. You can't walk around and say, I love free markets without being attacked with vitriol, with hate, with being called the white supremacist. Our students are shouted down and by people that are pro-communist, pro-communism. Um, socialists, you know, and then they, you know, they'll say socialism is amazing. We say socialism sucks. So all we're doing, it's very simple. We go on college campuses and we talk about free markets, why we love America. That's it. And you would think that we were doing something that was like, we're having these meetings. No, we, Charlie and I sit on stage and we talk about why we believe 
free markets is, is the solution to poverty. Uh, capitalism is, is the better alternative to its socialism, clearly. Um, and but of course, that's only because true socialism hasn't been tried yet. If, oh, only, yes. if only true socialism were tried, if then... Only, yeah. If only, yeah. you know, forget the fact that it's killed 100 million people <laughs> in the last 100 years. But there's just there's one piece we're missing here that would perfect the craft of socialism. That's um, just so like, uh, so, sorry to interrupt you. That's just like uh, true Islam has never been tried. If we truly right. lived under the liberating yeah, exactly. forces of an Islamic society, we'd all be happier. I'm so glad you get it. It's just, there's just the one little ingredient. That oh, I get it. Wrong. It's that extra spice, you know, the right. one tap of salt and then it's perfect. Um, but we're teaching this because it's not spoken about on campuses. And it's a scary thing to think that you're sending your kid to school, you're paying hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they're coming out um, and, and with destructive values. And these values make no question um, are destructive. Okay, it, it has never worked anywhere else in the history of the world. It's not going to work in America, despite the extra ingredient of salt that you guys are being taught. And we're just trying to inject that, you know, that conversation. So we have 1300 chapters um, all across um, in all 50 states, which is amazing. Wow. We have wow. these gatherings. Um, we'll have like a young woman leadership summit where we can just sort of target the ideas, talk about things that maybe guys in the room wouldn't want to hear. And we're actually talking about doing our first like pro guy summit. You know, God forbid. I can't wait for the press on that one. Um, but, you know, teaching men to be men. Men are not even allowed to be men. They're being taught feminism one-on-one, -on -one, not Western civilization on college campuses. You're taking classes on 37,000 different genders. You're toxic not masculinity, I'm smelling. Yeah, it's going to be called toxic. Yeah, toxic masculinity. I always say I'm a lover of toxic masculinity. I think that's just manhood. You know what? what you know, I was going to say, you know what toxic masculinity is? It's, it's, it's called uh, women's sexual fantasies. Right. Right. Uh, w w women, and these are there are actual, you know, there are many studies that 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 speak to this. If you ask them, sort of, uh, what is their male archetype? You know, their ideal male archetype. Romance novels, right? If you do a content analysis of the male archetype in romance novels, guess what? It's called toxic masculinity. He's bold. He's a risk taker. He wrestles alligators on his six pack, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So the idea that we have to pathologize half of humanity known as men. I mean, is it's the, insane. It's insane. I'm a lover of men. I'm a supporter of men. I, I, <laughs> I, when I see guys walk around with this, I'm a feminist too shirt. It makes me want to cry. I, the, I, the men are being turned into women and I'm not a lesbian. So, um, I, I, I'm not attracted to this new breed of men that's showing up where they have more emotions and feelings. And, you know, I, when I, the way that I grew up, my grandfather, he was tough. You know, he was, uh, you know, my dad never cried in the household. He, my, you swallow your emotion until it burns in your chest. Right. You're not allowed to say that anymore. No matter what you're going through, you go be a man. I like that. You know, and that's what uh, the generation before us, you had 18 year olds that stormed the beaches of Normandy. You know, the, these people. And, and now you have kids that need a safe space. Well, I just went after I just went after a guy. Sorry to interrupt you. I went after a guy. I can't remember his name. He's a guy I think who was involved in uh, some high school shooting like he was a victim. Da David Bog, David Hogg. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I, I just saw he, he came on my Twitter feed. I mean, I don't follow him. He doesn't follow me. But he wrote something like, uh, no humans are illegal. No humans are illegal. So I started satirizing that nonsense. And then someone wrote to me and said, hey, come on, you're this big shot professor. Why are you going after this 18-year-old kid? And then I wrote exactly what you, what you said. 18-year-old uh, kids used to defend us and our freedoms. Right. Now right. I can't go after some schmuck who has 800,000 plus followers and I yeah. can't criticize his ideas? No, because they're too sensitive. And and I'm I'm really not for that society. And that makes people very uncomfortable. The, you know, the idea that I'll say that, that we're, we're, we're turning men into women and we need to stop doing that. It's harmful. It's, it's, and by the way, it's not what women want. Okay. And that, that's what the, the biggest issue is. Nobody's talking about it. I offend so many people for saying what's on somebody else's mind, right? Men are, women are not interested in dating other women. And I'm finding that the alphas, they're turning women into men and men into women. And it's just wrong. It, it, it's off balance and uh, people have to start speaking up for it. So look, um, I love men. I'm a lover of, of toxic masculinity. <laughs> I love women that are strong and women that do not fall victim to victimhood um, and women that can go through experiences. And by the way, the underlying thing that I tell people when I speak, life is tough. Get a helmet. Okay. Yeah, you want that. to be a victim. You're going to find a million ways to be a victim. But I've been, I was victimized more times 
you know, I lived through more before I turned eight years old than most people will probably live in a lifetime because I came from a very dysfunctional family, right? You know, uh, oh, well, life's tough. Somebody else is going through more next door and it's going to get tougher. I've lived through so many things and I know that worse is yet to come. It's going to be around the corner. I've got friends that are, are, are going through, you know, uh, have had uh, terrible experiences in pregnancy, people that have had children that have with special needs. It, their life is constantly going to keep throwing things at you. This is sort of the, the what if happens clause of life. It sucks. It's hard. Okay. If somebody t makes you think that you're a special snowflake because you're going through shit, you're going to have an extra hard life. You know, I'm with you uh, a couple of more points and then we'll talk about any upcoming projects you have. And then, uh, we'll wrap it up and maybe have another one uh, at some point. Uh, what do you what do you think of uh, the what's your view? I, th I know that you're against the open borders policy as, as I am. Uh, enunciate that view for us and maybe link it to the current, uh, you know, uh, emotional hysteria with Trump is ushering children to gas chamber gas chambers. Oh my gosh! I actually had a New York Times reporter asked me in the lobby yesterday, like, how do you how do you not see the comparisons between Trump and Hitler? And I I, I think I scared her. I was so angry. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, do you understand how sick and twisted? What? And I was like, do you actually understand? And she was like, no, no. And I was like, no. I actually want you to look me in the eye and tell me, do you actually understand what Hitler did? Do you understand that he exterminated six million Jews? That the furnaces, when they when they couldn't hold enough people, he would line up around a pit and shoot them in the back of your in the back of the head. And they would just push the bodies into a pit. I go, now look me in the face and tell me if that's what Trump is doing by telling people that they can't run into our country. It's unbelievable. By sending them back home. And she was speechless. And, and I think she was, she sensed my anger. And I, I got through to her in a moment. And I was like, it's hysteria what you are doing. And what's the worst part of all is you're cheapening evil. You're making Hitler palatable. Okay, that's the worst part of all. I grew up in a very Jewish community. And my friends who were Jewish had um, on the coffee table, they had uh, you know, historical Holocaust. And I just remember like the images are seared into my brain from a child of those, all of those, um, uh, skeletons and, and just seeing the pictures of the bones and the fact that people are saying, because Trump is saying you can't come to this country illegally, that we're living through that. It pisses me off. It doesn't even, it's not even something that I want to talk about. It makes me want to shout and yell because it lets you know how privileged people are that we just randomly pluck whatever we want from history and say we're living through it because we haven't lived through anything, okay? This is the most spoiled generation in the history of the world. When you talk about Americans today, and that's why it's the Black Lives Matter, you are so spoiled that you randomly pluck people's histories from our black history, stuff that our grandparents actually lived through because it's fun for you. You're sitting here on a UCLA campus saying you're oppressed. You're well, a rat. Well, I mean, again, to, to point to my personal history, right? We, we escaped... Lebanon under imminent threat of execution. My parents returned to Lebanon and then they were kidnapped by Fatah, the Palestinian terrorist group, and some really nasty things happened to them, but eventually they were freed. And so I always tell people that the, the cure to the malady that we see with these privileged idiots is to have them live in true hell holes, like right. the ones that I come from, like the ones that Ayan Hirsi Ali comes from. Uh, this is when you truly appreciate the miracle called the West, the miracle called the United States. Are there wrong things in the United States? Of course. Is Are there individual racists who might do wrong things? Of course. I mean, could you literally have 350 million people who are all uh, Buddha? No. no. But, no. but as a system, is the United States... Uh, arguably the the society that has freed the most people, that has created the most good ever. Uh, yes. It, but only someone who didn't go to Wellesley College, who was born in Lebanon like myself, who came here, who experienced the generosity of the West, can appreciate those things regrettably. I, I, look, I'm, I'm down for a swap. If Trump puts up a thing and says we can swap these <laughs> brats who think America is awful right. and send them to the country that they think is is... is should be idolized, great, swap. Well, that'll be our new immigration program. I'll, I'll be the first person to support it, okay? You want to take some of these brass that are saying America is awful and they don't understand that we've actually been the most generous country, that we have, we've taken the most immigrants, and things that this country has done, the freedoms that we have and that we're allowed for. And the fact that they come out of our education system, they have no appreciation for this country makes me sick and beyond anything imaginable is the idea that they are now correlating that to what pe what the Jewish people lived through during World War II is absolutely sickening and they should be called out every single time. They're spoiled brats and they know nothing. Amen. Last question and then I ask you about ongoing projects that you'd like to promote. Not that you need my small platform to promote anything at this point, but uh, 
what are your views? I don't think you've weighed in too much on uh, the uh, possibility for Islam to coexist in the West. Do you think that's feasible? Yeah. I'm not talking about individual Muslims who are are lovely and peaceful and all of the rest of the preface stuff that we have to say before we no. talk about this. But what are what are your views on Islam? How's it going in the UK? Those are my views. Okay, yeah. uh, you can't. It's they have different views than us. They their views are that Western civilization is is corrupted and awful, and it doesn't follow. Um, their code of ethics. It doesn't work. You cannot say that you, you can coexist peacefully. What's happening in the UK is the greatest example. What's happening in Europe, there's a European crisis going on right now, okay? They they have different ideas of what freedom is. Their idea of freedom is not freedom whatsoever. And you brought up Ianne Kiersey, and I, I've, I've um, followed her closely, and what she says is so important. She is someone that has defected from it and is telling you exactly what goes on. Um, it's amazing to me that people think that somehow if you bring people that actually hate Western civilization to Western civilization, what they're just going to warm up to it and say, we'll coexist peacefully, even though everything you do sickens us. Well, they will coexist peacefully Peacefully. until the demographic changes are enough that they know until now, again, this doesn't speak. And I I hate to always have to preface this, but you always have to offer these nuanced things. Otherwise, someone's going to accuse you of being a Nazi. Uh, Individual people follow a normal distribution there are really nice jews there are really shitty jews there are wonderful muslims there are really nasty muslims but is islam are the central doctrines of islam compatible with our most foundational western values you couldn't have a clearer answer and it is no now many muslims might decide to ignore the endless stuff that's useless in their in their you know holy books but when the demographic changes allow you to then implement further intrusions on the rest of us it's going to happen and there is 1400 years of history that suggests this good luck europe i don't see how europe's going to get it back i genuinely feel that um they're done i i I, people have asked this question all the time and i've I've looked at it and i've said no i think they're done i i don't see how they can get it back i i view america as the last stand for western civilization it's why it was so important for us to show a sign of support in israel they are only allies in the middle east and the fact that it took us this long to take a strong stand for them is ridiculous right so i have i have I um, lived with a Muslim girl, um, so this is not at all an attack against you know peaceful Muslims. It's just a basic understanding that um, Islam and Western civilization are never going to be friends because they're fundamentally different ideas. Exactly right. Tell us about any projects you're cooking up in the next three to twelve months that uh, we should know about. I'm launching a really big project that I can't slip what it's called yet, but we'll be announcing it in about eight weeks. Um, it's it's a, a black focused project. It's inspiring all these amazing. Um, I've been following so many black YouTubers and black people on Twitter that are just starting to get it. And it's the idea of just freedom that we don't have to be anything because of the melanin in our skin. Um, and I think that that's the biggest project I'm working on. I'm working on a book that'll coincide with that. Um, and, uh, you know, we're doing our high school summit, which is really exciting to see that high schoolers are starting to get engaged in politics. Um, Don Trump Jr. will be speaking. Kyle Kishow, Parkland shooting survivor, will be speaking. Uh, Jesse Waters will be speaking. And if you're in high school and you're watching this, you should sign up for it. Even if you disagree with us, we'd love people that disagree with us and, and just hear different ideas and, I guess, take the stigma out of what it means to be a, a conservative. We're actually really fun and we're really nice. And we're really cool. <laughs> That's what I want everybody to know. That's the big takeaway. <laughs> Very nice. Excited to see how these projects unfold. Stay on the line. Such a pleasure having you on. Look forward to our next chat. Thank you. Cheers.